Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show.
What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 25th of May. Hope you're all well. Muggy again today. Yeah, that's how it is. Right, we had one game in the Premier League last night. Manchester City won, Brighton won down at the Amex. Uh, Phil Foden put City one up on 25 minutes. Erling Haaland had already spurned Three good chances to score before he set up Phil Foden, who made it 1-0. But Julio and Ciso, with an absolutely sensational goal, equalised on 38 minutes. If you thought the goal he scored at Stamford Bridge was good, this was even better. Gave absolutely no chance at all to Stefan Ortega. Both sides rested some players, but... This was a fun game. Lots of good football played. City had probably the more clear-cut chances, but Brighton had more chances. Danny Welbeck hit the post or the crossbar, the crossbar it was, with what would have been the goal of his life from a free kick. I felt like Brighton deserved the win on the balance, but all things considered, I think both teams will be okay with a point. Uh, That point means Brighton have clinched a spot In next season's Europa League, they will finish sixth. So great achievement for them. Means they can go into the final day with no pressure on them. That could be bad news for both Spurs and Brentford, who need Brighton to take a point from Villa on the final day to give them a chance of getting seventh and taking the Conference League spot. Brentford host City, Tottenham travel to Leeds. Brentford would need... Villa and Spurs to draw and them to win to get in. Spurs would need Villa to draw and them to win to get in. Um, Or even a Villa loss and a Spurs draw would be enough because the goal difference would then swing in Spurs' uh, direction. All things considered, I think Brighton can be hugely proud of their season. I think they've got so much to be excited about moving forward. Even if they lose both Alexis and Caicedo this summer, and I kind of have a feeling they're only going to lose Alexis, I kind of feel like they might be able to keep hold of Caicedo for one more year, or at least until January. But when you look around that squad and you see a stupid in the form he's been in, one of the best left-backs in the league, and Matoma ahead of him, one of the best left-wingers in the league, they should both be there next season. Lewis Dunks had the best season of his career. He'll be there. Webster's had a decent season. Some injuries, but a decent season. Now, they will lose Colwell, but I'd imagine they'll look for someone else to come in, another left-footed centre-back to come in there. Um, they were linked to Matvienko, the Ukrainian, in January. I wonder if that's something they can revisit. If they keep Caicedo... It looks like Mo Dehoud is coming in, so he will help in midfield. Pascal Gross has had a very good season, so they'll still have him. They'll need to add one more. I think one quality midfielder will be needed. But then, you know, Sully March has had the best season of his career. I think we'll see a lot more from Buenanote next season as well. So that's the right side nailed down. Whoever comes in to replace Alexis ideally will be able to play 
as a central midfielder and in that number 10 role. Then they'll also have Enciso for that number 10 role. And that's, he's an outstanding player. He is going to be really special, I think. There's something really, really likable about how he plays. Evan Ferguson, I think, will be a monster next year. If you just look at what he's been able to do this year, um, I think he's got 10 goals and three assists across all competitions in about 1,200 minutes, which for a kid that's 18 and won't turn yet, 10 goals and three assists in, I think it might be 1,300 minutes now, but either way, it's impressive. Uh, he doesn't turn 19 until October. And CISO, who's had a really nice run in the second half of the season, he doesn't turn 20 until January. Uh, he got four goals this season. I think he'll push for 10 next season. We know that they've got João Pedro coming in from Watford. He can play the nine or the 10. They've re-upped Welbeck. I think he'll play less next season. But if they've got Ferguson and Ciso and Pedro and Joe Pedro as the three options for the nine and 10 role, because Joe can play either position, I think that's really exciting. Really, really exciting. They've also got um, the young winger, Simon Adringa, to come back in. So that'll give them two options on the left with him and Matoma, Solly and Buenanote on the right. Maybe Kasper Kozlowski is the one they bring back in to play in central midfield. Maybe they don't look to bring anybody in because they've got him. He's super talented. They've got Teddy Jenks and Jensen Weir, both very, very talented. Maybe they get a little bit of a look. Andrew Moran, the young Irish midfielder. Some people will tell you he's the most talented young Irish player around, including Ferguson. I don't know that I'd go that far, but he's certainly very exciting. You've got Abdullah Simit to come back in as another forward option as well. Like, they could be absolutely loaded in midfield and attack next year. And then it's just about making themselves more solid at the back. And maybe if they just go with these younger players in... Midfield, if they just use Kozlowski, uh, Jensen Weir, and Andrew Morton, uh, Andrew Moran rather, and then use the likes of Adringa, Adingra, and Sima in the attack along with the new rival, Joe Pedro, plus what's already there, they only need to go and sort the goalkeeper for certain, but they'll sell Robert Sanchez and the money from that will cover the new keeper, which might well be Queeving Callagher. They need a left-footed centre-back. Matt Fienko would seem like the one that makes sense just because they've been linked before, but they could look elsewhere. And I think a right-back. And I've said before, if I was them, I'd, I'd look at Ronnie Edwards from Peterborough. I think if you're looking for the Joel Veltman type, I think Ronnie Edwards would fit that really well. He is primarily a centre-back, but he's good enough on the ball and quick enough I think, to play right back in this Brighton team. I mean, Jacob Greaves might be another left-footed centre-back they'd look for from Hull. Could be available at a good price. But I think Brighton are going to be really good again next year. I don't have any worries that they'll just collapse 
I think the recruitment will remain at an elite level. I've seen people make silly comparisons to Southampton. It's not something Brighton have done. Southampton's issue wasn't the young players they recruited. It was the older players they kept around who continued to let them down. It was the decisions they made in terms of managers they appointed. Brighton's last two managerial appointments were Graham Potter and Roberto De Zerbi. They nailed both of them. Before that, it was Chris Hewton, another appointment that they nailed. That's three in a row. So that means you're pretty good at identifying managers. They've probably got a long list of managers that they will pick from as and when they need a replacement. But I think Brighton fans have loads of reasons to be really excited. Not just the fact that they're in Europe, but the fact that this pipeline isn't slowing up anytime soon. And and I do think there's a real chance Kozlowski gets a real look in preseason and potentially earns, if not an every game starting spot, certainly a a rotation spot for next year. Maybe Mo Dehoud plays more and he's the one that comes in. He's more similar stylistically to Alexis. He's had a good season with Vitas Arnhem. And I back him to do well in the Premier League. He is an outstanding young player. City of the League wrapped up. They're eight points clear. Uh, I said I thought they'd win it by 10. It looks like they'll win it by eight. Now, they could lose the last game and Arsenal could win the last game and then it's five, but that would be closer than it's actually been if we're all being honest about the whole situation. Uh, Tonight we have one game. We have Manchester United at home to Chelsea. United need one point to confirm themselves as a Champions League team for next season. No Martinez, no Van Der Beek, no Sabitzer, no Greenwood, no Heaton, and no Phil Jones for United tonight. Uh, For Chelsea, no Badia Shile, no Broja, no Rhys James, no N'Golo Kante, no Mason Mount, no Mark Kukurea, no Ben Chilwell, no Kovacic, and no Bettinelli. So lots of injuries for Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea, I mean, it doesn't really matter what they do at this point. The season has been a complete and utter disaster. I'm, I'm sure they would like to finish above Crystal Palace. You know, they're going to finish in the bottom half, but I'm sure they'd like to finish 11th rather than 12th. Uh, a point tonight would put them ahead of Palace, but a win for Chelsea tonight would put huge pressure on United going into their last game. Their last game is home to Fulham. Assuming Liverpool go and win away to Southampton on Sunday, United would need to get something from the Fulham game. Now, I do think they'll get a point from at least one of these games. It wouldn't surprise me if they won both. But is it outside the realms of possibility that they lose both? They're not very good. They're not very good at all. So let's wait and see what happens. Uh, let's do some of the news then. Arnie Slot has turned down the chance to become Tottenham Hotspur manager. Says he wants to stay at Feyenoord and continue working on what they've created in the last year. Um, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, he's done a great job there. He probably wants to just build on it and hope for the opportunity to maybe get an even bigger job, you know? 
in a year, maybe Bayern are looking for a new manager. Maybe Tuchel moves on from there. I think this is not the worst decision in the world for any slot. Um, Guillaume Balaga claims Spurs approached the Zerbi. Guillaume Balaga is a self-promoting bullshitter, so I wouldn't believe much of what he's got to say. I don't really understand why Nagelsmann isn't the target. Uh, he's made it clear. Appoint a sporting director and then come back to me. So why not just appoint the sporting director? You need one anyway. So go and get one and then go and get Nagelsmann. The other option is Ruben Amaram, who I think would be a great fit. I think that squad actually works best for him more than any other choice. Um, so yeah, Ruben Amaram, go and appoint him. Get yourself a sporting director and, and move forward. Javier Tebas, the president of La Liga, says, oh, so Vinicius Jr. Oh, sorry, no. This is about the Vinicius case. Javier Tebas says La Liga could reduce racist incidents in the top flight in six or seven months if it had necessary powers. It's such a cop-out. <clears throat> it's such an absolute cop-out. What powers do you need? You can't impose sanctions. You can You can ban people. You can fine clubs. You can make clubs play behind closed doors. These are things you can do. I'm I'm so sick of listening to Javier Tebas and his absolute nonsense excuses. Uh, Moving on. Stephen Warnock, that noted Rhodes Scholar has said that it's cowardly that uh, Maurizio Pochettino has not taken the Chelsea job before the summer. What are they waiting for, he said. If I'm a player, I want to know who's in charge and what their philosophy is, what my future is. That's what pre-season is for, jackass. The players know who's in charge right now. It's Frank Lampard. His philosophy is, go out there and run around a bit. I was told that Lampard is his his eyes and ears around the training ground. But everyone has different opinions. What's the point? Who told you that? You read that somewhere. I think it's cowardly. Utter nonsense. Absolute nonsense. This is standard practice that he would wait until pre-season to take over that he has these games to assess the squad assess the players and decide who he wants to keep how he wants to use them and if there was a player like Stephen Warnock at the club which League One club can I send them to Uh, Julian Lopetegui is apparently not looking for incredible signings amid uncertainty about his future uh, the uncertainty about the future seems to stem solely from Guy and Balaga, uh, who, again, I wouldn't listen to. If he told me it was raining outside, I, I'd go out and check, genuinely. I wouldn't believe a word that comes out of his mouth. Um, congrats to Inter Milan, Coppa Italia winners, beat Fiorentina 2-1 last night. Um, Nico Gonzalez put Fiorentina 1-up on three minutes. But two goals from Latura Martinez, one on 29, the other on 37, gave Inter the win. 
that is one of two cups they are hoping to win this season. Obviously, the other one is the Champions League. It was also the first of two finals. Fiorentina will play their second is against West Ham in the Europa Conference League. Um, As I mentioned, Brighton had uh, confirmed themselves as top six last night and will play in the Europa League. Uh, Andreas Iniesta will leave Vissel Kobe after five years at the Japanese club. He will play his final match for them on July 1st, which is midway through the J-League season. He's made just three sub-appearances so far this season. They're top of the league, but he has no plans to retire immediately. I want to finish my time here properly and then see what options are available to me. I want to keep playing and then retire while I'm still active. That's difficult for me to do here, so I want to find a place where I can eventually retire. He said choosing to leave Vassal is one of the hardest decisions of his life. By all accounts, he has fully embraced Japanese culture, Japanese lifestyle. Um, He won the Emperor's Cup with Vassal in 2019 and the Japanese Super Cup the following year. He obviously won everything that was possible to win with both Spain and Barcelona. Whenever he does choose to retire, he will go down in history as one of the greatest players to ever put on a pair of boots. He's one of the most aesthetically pleasing players, but also one of the most functionally brilliant players that there's ever been. Uh, A genius in midfield, a master of space, a master of timing, incredibly technically strong, obviously. But his brain elevated him levels above. I mean, he's 5'7". He's very, very skinny. He's not a player that you would pick out of a crowd as that's the best midfielder of his generation. But he absolutely is the best midfielder of his generation. And his time at Barcelona was absolutely spectacular. From... 2005 all the way through 2018, he was just world-class. From the minute he established himself at Barca, he established himself as a world-class player. Uh, 131 caps for Spain, 76 of them in competitive games, 13 goals. And like I said, the list of honours is incredible. Um, La Liga champion on nine occasions. Six-time Copa del Rey winner, six-time Spanish Super Cup winner, four Champions Leagues, two UEFA Super Cups and three World Club Cups, Emperor's Cup and Japanese Super Cup with Vassal. With Spain, he won an under-16 championship in 2011. Sorry, 2001. He won an under-19 championship the following year when he was 17. He won the World Cup in 2010. He won the European Championships in 2008 and 2012. Uh, This man should have been a Ballon d'Or winner. He is, without question, one of the best players the game's ever seen. Unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. And could play in a multitude of positions. If you play a midfield three, you could play as the connector. You could play as the most advanced. He could play wide left, play him as a false nine if he needed to. In a box midfield, he worked as either interior. 
in Spain's box midfield when it was Busquets, Alonso, Xavi, Iniesta, they were untouchable. Absolutely untouchable under Vincente del Bosque. Sensational team to watch. Uh, I always preferred watching Spain to watching Barca. I don't know why. I think it's because Barca were so messy centric. And I know, like, look, there's nothing. Messi's amazing. It's not a, a knock on Messi. It was just that with Spain, it just seemed like the responsibility was shared out. And, and when they play with no striker, so when they put Sesc as the nine and Silva as the kind of nine and a half, then that box midfield, and they'd still find ways to win games, even though there was no goal scorer or recognized goal scorer on the pitch. Yet they'd still win games two and three nil by just passing teams to death. And he was vital to all of that. Uh, I wonder where he'll go next. He could go to MLS. He could go to the A-League in Australia, go to to South Korea if he wants to stay in Asia. I think he'd be great fun in Australia. Be great for the Australian League as well. Could he go to Qatar? It's where Xavi finished up. Maybe. Could he go to Saudi Arabia? Potentially. It's going to be plenty of money on offer for him anyway. Um, Tottenham manager search. Are Potter, Rogers, Enrique and Lopetegui on the radar? The only one of those four that should be on the radar is probably Enrique. Potter, you can't you can't do what you did with Villas-Boas again. You can't appoint someone that's just bombed out of Chelsea in spectacular fashion. Rogers is a clown and not good enough for a big club. And Lopetegui, I mean, just leave Wolves alone. Just just leave them alone. Um, we'll do the gossip. When we come back, we'll do listeners' questions. And that will be us for the day. Uh, Manchester United are willing to pay £55 million for Mason Mount and are aiming to beat Liverpool and Arsenal to the 24-year-old's signature. Mount will discuss his Chelsea future with the club's hierarchy next week. Mount is leaning towards Manchester United if Chelsea decide to sell. That's from David Ornstein, so that's the most concrete uh, story we have on this. Gareth Southgate says Harry Maguire and Calvin Phillips' lack of game time is concerning, but not concerning enough not to pick them. Let's forget the fact that Maguire has been dreadful for three years now. It's the lack of game time that's concerning. Because if he was playing every week and playing crap, you'd still put him in the squad and put him in the team. You imbecile. Aston Villa are leading the race to sign Harvey Barnes. I could see that. I could see that. I think Barnes would do well there. Uh, West Ham are also interested in Barnes and Jack Harrison of Leeds. The Hammers are likely to keep David Moyes as their manager and they intend to back him by targeting Joe Polina as a replacement for Declan Rice. So you're signing a better player. However, that is a £50 million midfielder who is 28. It's not long-term planning. Keeping Moyes is a mistake. Arsenal plan to sell as many as 14 players to raise funds for eight new signings in a major summer rebuild. Nicolas Pepe, apparently among those set to leave. Let's see if this lists uh, the players that are likely to leave. Let's see. 
Um, Martin Odegaard and Ben White are to get new contracts. Uh, William Saliba to get a new contract. No breakthrough there at all. Granite Jack is set to leave. Kieran Tierney set to leave. Emile Smith Smith Rowe potentially set to leave. Uh, Rob Holding, Charlie Patino, and Foller and Balligan. Reese Nelson, all potentially leaving. Uh, Nicola Pepe, Ainsley Maitland Niles. Albert Sambi Laconga, Pablo Mari, Nuno Tavar. They have signed some crap over the years, haven't they? Like, here's the thing who are you actually getting decent money for? So you're getting 15 million for Xhaka. Great. Smith Rowe will probably bring in about 25 to 30. Holding might bring in five. Uh, Reese Nelson's out of contract. Patino's unproven. So maybe you get 15, maybe. Uh, Balligan, you might get 25. Nicola Pepe, I don't think you're getting much of anything for him. I think it's another loan. Because who's going to buy him? Paid 72 million for him. He's got years left in his deal. And he's on a fortune. You've been paying 70% of his wages while he's been on loan this year. Uh, Maitland Niles is at a contract. Nuno Tavares might bring in eight million, maybe. Uh, Cedric Sores is on a free. Pepe could see his contract terminated if an offer doesn't come in. Like that's where they are with that. That is what's going to happen. Uh, Albert Sambilaconga, maybe you get fifteen million. Pablo Mari, maybe you get five million. There's just not a lot of money there. There just isn't a lot of money. If they want eight players, and the players that are mentioned here. Zhao Canseo, City are going to charge you 50-odd million. Declan Rice, there's 90 million. Gundogan's a free. Uh, Mark Wehi, 50 million. Moussa Diaby, probably 70 million. Like, there's just not going to be the money there for all these players. Simple as that. The Gunners are also interested in Antonio Sanabria for 22 million. That can't be real. I mean, he's a solid player. He's not. He's not twenty-two million worth. But then you're probably you're buying him off a high because he's had a good season. He's a decent. He's a decent player, no question. <clears throat> that money is mental. Though. Manchester United have been told they must pay one hundred and forty million to sign Victor Osman after agreeing a deal for his clubmate Kim Min Jae. They haven't agreed a deal for Kim Min Jae yet, and. They've been told, everybody's been told, Osman is not for sale this year. Napoli are desperately trying to convince Kim and Jay to sign a new contract before a release clause comes into effect this summer. Harry Kane still remains United's first choice striker option, and the club will move early in the window in attempt to make negotiations smoother. Aston Villa want to secure the long-term futures of John McGinn and Ollie Watkins. Um... It's absolutely the truth because it's from John Percy. I just, I just, Watkins, absolutely you want to keep. McGinn, less so. Less so. McGinn has played out of his skin for the last few months. And he's still rarely over a 7 out of 10. Inter Milan and Belgium forward Romelu Lukaku says he knew the Italian club would try to sign him back if the move to Chelsea did not work out because they told you <clears throat> that's what would happen. Arsenal have offered Reese Nelson a deal until 2027 with the option of an extra year. 
but the 23-year-old has other offers and probably wants to play football, so he probably wants to leave. Uh, football Insider, here's here's some fucking wizardry for you. And yes, swearing is necessary. Wayne VC revealed. Fine order increasingly resigned to losing manager Arnie Slot to Tottenham. Sources have told Football Insider. Talks are progressing well between Spurs and the Dutchman. Well, according to my sources, who are Arnie Slot himself, no talks took place. And he is staying at Feyenoord. So, there you go. Wayne Vesey, his spoofer. Real Betis may return to their long-standing interest in Mark Roque. That's that's someone they've looked at for years. So, it makes sense. Uh, Russell Martin has verbally agreed to become the new Southampton manager. Martin had already agreed a th- has already agreed a three-year deal to become Saints' new manager. And it will be announced in the coming days. Barcelona have been shocked by hints that Jules Kunde wants to leave the club. These hints have come from spoofers like Graham Bailey. Uh, Qatar Sports Investments, who own PSG, have made a move to buy eight-time Brazilian Serie A champions Santos. Well, there we go then. Right, that's the gossip. I'll take a break. I'll see you in a sec. We have some questions and we'll go through them. Bye-bye. Right, welcome back. So, listeners' questions times. This one was sent on by Theo Saki. Uh, it was actually tweeted by Lord Orioles underscore on Twitter. Pick your greatest ever World Eleven with the following rules. All 11 have to have played in your lifetime. No two players from the same country. And no two can have played for the same club. Right. This is going to take a bit of time and a bit of thought. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick the ones that have to be in. And unfortunately, Lionel Messi, you miss out because I have to have Diego Maradona in my team. That is just the rules. I don't make them. I just enforce them. So we'll go. Maldini will be my left back. There's no crossover with him and Maradona. I now can't have another Argentine. I can't have someone that played for Argentinos Juniors, Barcelona, Napoli, Sevilla, or Boca Juniors. Can't have another Italian. Can't have anyone else that played for AC Milan. I'm going to put Maradona's nemesis, Lothar Mateus, into this team. Can't have anyone that played for Bayern Munich, Inter Milan. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Or the New York Metro Stars, now known as the New York Red Bulls. I don't think we're going to find anyone else who played for FC Herzog Geno Arich, or whatever they're called, that's the club where um, Matthias came through the academy. Right, let's see. We want a Brazilian in. 
I can't have Ronaldo because he played for Inter and I've got Mateus. I want Mateus, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick him. Can't have Ronaldinho because he played for Barcelona. Can't have Pele because he didn't play during my lifetime. Can't have Romario because he played for Barca. Can't have Cafu because he played for AC Milan. I think Guy has given given me my answer here. In Gilberto Silva is one of my favorite players. So we're going to go with him. Um, We are. We're going to go with him in midfield with Lothar Mateus. I can't have Luis Suarez, who I would want as my Uruguayan, because obviously he played for um, Barcelona, but I think I can have my second favorite Uruguayan. Just need to check, make sure there's no crossover with clubs. There's not. I am going to have Enzo Francescoli. Or am I? Because I want Zidane. Oh, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. Yeah, we'll take Francesca Lee. We'll take Zidane. So that leaves it, rules out Bordeaux, rules out Juve, rules out um, AC uh, Real Madrid, and rules out France. Okay. Can't have them Boston because I've got. Because I've got um, Maldini. Can't have Rijkaard because I've got Maldini because of the Milan connection there either. Can't have Baresi because I can't have second Italian. Maybe I'll do goalkeeper next. I'm going to go Trent Alexander-Arnold as my right back. And he'll be my only English player. And my only Liverpool player. And he's also one club player. So there's no lap over, overlap with anybody else. Um, I was going to pick Yap Stam as my centre-back. But he played for Milan. So it can't be him. I'll take. Can't have Ricardo Carvalho. I'll take Paul McGrath as one of my centre backs. So that rules out Simpats Athletic, United, Villa, and Derby, and Ireland.
need another centre back, I need a goalkeeper, and I need a number nine. Um goalkeeper. Michelle Prodhome would be my goalkeeper, I think. Oh, Jan O'Black is a great shout. Yeah, we'll go Jan O'Black as the goalkeeper. So that's Slovenia, Benfica and Atletico Madrid off the table. Uh, Need a centre-back... Need a striker. Can't have Slovenia, Ireland, England. Uh, Don't have a Spanish player yet. Spanish striker or centre-back. Hierro's the best Spanish centre-back ever. Can't have him. Puyol is... Manolo and Puyol are two and three. Can't have either of them. Can't have a rule up front. Can't have... Butragini up front. Hmm. This is tough. Let's see. Um, can't have Papin played for France. I was French and played for Milan. And Marseille, and I've got uh, Francescoli there that played for Marseille, I think. Didn't he? I think Enzo Francescoli played for Marseille. I could be wrong about that now. He did. Um, I've got Portuguese. I could take a Portuguese striker. Or Portuguese centre back, but the centre back I would want is Carvalho. Then there would be Pepe, yeah. played for played for Real though. Um, I can take a Portuguese player, a Spanish player, and then obviously there's tons of other countries as well. A centre back and a striker. Great strikers who weren't from this sort of elite. Oh, have I just, I think I might have just pulled one off. Oh, I think, I think this will work. No, he played for Juventus. Marcelo Salas would have been perfect. Would have been perfect. But he played for Juve for a while. Um, can't have Didier Drogba because he played for Marseille. Can't have Shevchenko because he played for Milan. Can't have George Weah because he played for Milan. Can't have Alan Shearer because he's English. 
can't have bought a student because I have my Argentine kind of Crespo for the same reason. Can't have Davor Sucker because he played for Real Madrid. Uh, oh, David Villa played for Barcelona, so that rules him out. Um, Torres played for Liverpool, so that rules him out. This is very, very tough. Victor Osman. No, he can't because he played for Napoli. Plays, plays for Napoli. Um, I'm not giving up on this, though. I'm going to keep doing this. So I know this isn't great to listen to, but uh, if you can hear a thumping noise in the background, that is my brain beating against the inside of my, inside of my head. Um, centre-back might be easier to solve. Let's see. It's quite tough. It is quite tough to think of. Do I have a Dutch player? I don't have a Dutch player either. I can't have Koeman. I could have Danny Blind. Father of Daily Blind. No one else in this team played for Ajax. No. So I'll go with Danny Blind as my second centre-back. So now I just need a forward player. Um, I played for Barcelona. I was going to say Henrik Larsson, but played for Barcelona and United and can't have either of those. Zlatan has played for everybody, so it can't be him. Uh, can't be Cavani because I've got a Uruguayan. I'm going to cheat a little bit and look up European Golden Boot winners. Can't be Chiro Mobile, can't be Suarez, can't be Cristiano, can't be Messi. Can't be Lewandowski. Young Minson. Can't be Forlan. Not Young Minson. Oh, maybe Young Minson. Um, it might have to be Young Minson. Christoph Stoichkov, Hugo Sanchez, Ali McCoist. <laughs> Ali McCoist banged in goals, to be fair. It might have to be Youngman's son. It might have to be Youngman's son. Yeah, it might have to be Youngman's son. So I've got a box midfield. I've got a back four, all black and goal, Trent right back. Maldini left back, McGran blind as my 
uh, as my two centre-backs. Lothar Mateus and Gilberto Silva in a double pivot in front of them. Francescoli and Zidane as the two attacking midfielders. Maradona just off the striker. And it might just have to be Hyung Min Son. It might just have to be because... None of the rest of these fit my criteria. The only other one who is a player I loved is Joe Pinto of Benfica, played for Sporting Boa Vista. No, because I've got Old Black who played for Benfica, so I can't be him. We're going to go for Young Min Son. So Maradona off Young Min Son. There's my. There's my 11. There we go. That took far longer than I thought it would. Um, but we'll move. We'll move on. Uh, somebody else sent me in something. Now, so now I have to try and find it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is from Andy F. Uh, new to English football. Stumbled upon Luton Town's story can you talk about the in detail about their spiral down to the bottom league and their amazing ascension back up in detail no because i'm not a luton fan you probably need to go deep diving on luton um with with someone that's more kind of ingrained in the club but i can give you sort of a a brief sort of look at what went wrong and and what happened um They've been through some significant financial issues over the years. Um, They worked their way up through the divisions. So you go back and look at the early days of Luton. They were a non-league club back in the 1900s and 1910s. In the 1920s, they found their way into the Football League. They played in Division 3 or Division 3 South, which because the the old, the real old one used to have um, the North and South separated at that level, the same way we do now with the level below National League. In the late 1930s, they moved up into Division 2. They stayed in Division 2 for quite a while. And then they got promoted to Division 1 for the first time in 1955. And they stuck around the top flight for four years before getting relegated in their fifth. And they went down through the divisions again. And having been relegated from the top flight in 1960, by 1966, sorry, by 1965, they were playing in Division 4. But then they worked their way back up again. And by 1982-83, they were starting off in the top flight. And they managed to sustain that place in the top flight up until the end of the 91-92 season, which, of course, is the last season of the old football league. So right before the Premier League begins, they get relegated, miss out on all the money that comes with it. In 1996, they get relegated again and they find their way into Division 2, which is the third tier at that point. Relegated again in 2001. And then they're in the bottom flight. Now, they're only there for one year. And they work their way back up into Division 2, which then becomes League 1. 
they get back into the championship and then it becomes catastrophic for them. Relegated from the championship, relegated from League One and relegated from League Two in consecutive seasons, they went from a championship team who just finished 10th in the championship in 05-06, relegated in 06-07, relegated again in 07-08, relegated again in 08-09 into the Conference Premier, which is now the National League. They spent five years trying to battle their way out of that mess. In 14-15, they started life as a football league club again. They spent four years in League Two. And then they got promoted. They spent one year in League One. They finished second in League Two in 17-18 under Nathan Jones, who we now know largely to laugh at. The following season... Nathan Jones quits halfway through the season. Halfway through the year, just packs up and goes. Heads for Stoke. And despite losing the manager, they carry on regardless and they get promoted. In 1920, Graham Jones, who'd taken over from Nathan Jones gets fired, and Nathan Jones returns to the club. Uh, Graham Jones, for those who don't know, is the guy who's the assistant manager now, or one of the assistant managers at Newcastle. Um, they've spent three years in the championship, 19th, 12th, and 6th. So they've moved up and up and up. What's just really funny to me is that of their potential three promotions in what will be a six-year span, Nathan Jones walked out on them midway through two of them. Midway through their League One collapse, or the League One promotion, midway through their championship potential promotion. Um, but he is, like, regardless of how much we might mock him, he is the biggest reason for their success because he laid so much of the groundwork there. He established a way of playing. It's fair to say that their current manager has had a massive impact, obviously. Since Rob Edwards came in, he's done an outstanding job, and he's very much put his imprint on the team as well. But a lot of the fundamental principles of the team do come from Nathan Jones and what he instilled there during his time at the club. The biggest reason for their problems was mismanagement of the club. It's worth remembering that the biggest reason they were relegated from League Two into the Championship was that they were docked 30 points. 30 points for financial irregularities over the previous seasons. Huge mismanagement of that football club. Scandalous. 
in truth. Utterly scandalous. John Gurney was the biggest problem. He left the club in an absolutely awful position. Left him in administration, having taken over a club that wasn't going very well, but wasn't quite at the at death's door just yet. But they just they just couldn't overcome their problems. So from administration in two thousand and four, I want to say it was two thousand and four, they then get relegated three times in successive seasons. 30-point deduction the year they were relegated from League 2, 10-point deduction the year they were relegated from League 1, so 40 points in total over two years. People thought Derby had it hard. They didn't have it as hard as Luton. Um, But look, they have turned it around. Uh, New ownership there has done, not not, not new ownership at this point, David Wilkinson's been there a while. Um, This is their, I think, third different owner since that catastrophe they do seem to be on the right plan now that the biggest reason i think for how they've gone about this is how clever they've been with recruiting they're one of the clubs that embraced data-led recruitment and they have no real budget they spend very little money they hired a couple of lads off twitter would you believe who'd made their names and gotten their reputations from twitter and uh They've completely turned the club around. They've made smart moves in terms of managers. Again, Nathan Jones, we can laugh at him. He's a decent manager at that level. Rob Edwards was a very, very clever appointment because it took a lot of bravery to appoint Rob Edwards for Luton because Luton's biggest rival is Watford. Just imagine if... Imagine if Arsenal sacked Arteta tomorrow and hired Conte, who'd just been sacked by Spurs. Except this would be worse because Conte was sacked for calling the board a bunch of useless egots. Edwards was sacked because things weren't going all that well at Watford. Now, he wasn't given much of a chance, but he got 11 games. Imagine if Portsmouth appointed Nathan Jones now after what happened to him at Southampton. That's basically the equivalent. Or if Brighton appointed him, or Bournemouth appointed him, after what happened at Southampton. That's basically the equivalent here. Now, Rob Edwards didn't do anything stupid or make a show of himself, but he didn't last very long. But he's done an outstanding job at Luton, and I'm thrilled for them. Kenilworth Road is one of the best stadiums in England. And by that, I mean it's one of the worst kips you'll ever go to in your life, but it's brilliant. It's tiny... It's tight. You're right on top of the pitch. The pitch varies week to week from a bog to a carpet to a cabbage patch. But it's great. And they do great work down there. And everybody involved in that club deserves enormous enormous credit for what they've achieved. And even if they don't come up, even if they lose to Coventry, they deserve incredible amounts of credit for the work they've put in. Now, I have no idea how they would do in the Premier League. Genuinely. Because I look at their team and I look at the squad of players they've got there and there's a handful 
that I'm familiar with, mostly players that have played in the Premier League or been at Premier League clubs. But a lot of them, not a clue. Not a clue who these players are. Not a clue how good they are. It's hard to watch Luton's style and say, well, that will translate to the Premier League because certain things will and certain things won't. There's some players that people will know, like Henry Lansborough, uh, Marvis Acamba's there on loan, Cody Drama's in on loan from Leeds, Dan Potts, formerly of West Ham, whose father is a West Ham legend, Steve Potts. Um, who else do we know? Sonny Bradley. He's been around a long, long time. People will probably know him uh, if, if they've been paying attention to lower league. But again, it is lower league. Pompey, Crawley, Plymouth, landed where he is now. Uh, Admiral Musquay, he's there. Reese Burke, another former West Ham player. Pelly Ruddock Mapanzu, familiar with him, no? Uh, Louis Watson, I do know purely because he's Irish. Uh, Alan Campbell, he's, I mean, I, they, they might need an entirely new team. They genuinely might need an entirely new team. This squad was put together, like, not even a shoestring. Not even a shoestring. But Mick Harford has been in charge of recruitment. He's the one that's led the push for them to go to this data-based um, database model. They're a club owned partly by their own supporters' trust, partly by a gentleman called Kalish Karavadra. That's a name that sounds Georgian to me, or, you know, that sort of part of the world. No, I'm wrong. He's He was born in Uganda. Don't know anything about the guy. He was a senior member of Ernst & Young Accountants in the United States before he bought his shares. But they have done an amazing job with that club. They really have done an amazing job with that club. And it'd be great to see them back in the top flight because, like I said, they missed the Premier League by literally a year. They got relegated the last summer of the old Division 1. Leeds were crown champions. Luton went down. Uh, Right, we've got a couple more here. Chris Colby, name up to five players you would completely erase from Liverpool's history if given the chance. Just five. Um, Let's start with Dejan the Pebble Lovren. Uh, Let's move forward with Paul Koncheski. Sticking with London signed left backs. Let's go Julian Dix. Let's stay in London. Current Crystal Palace manager, Roy Hodgson. And my fifth and final one. Oof. There's a lot to pick from. Um, I'm going to go Joe Cole. An absolutely disastrous signing. Um, Also, you've recently discussed who wouldn't, wouldn't fit as potential left centre-back options for this system. 
How much would you have enjoyed a healthy and in his prime Daniel Agar? Daniel Agar is literally the blueprint for this role. Daniel Agar would be perfect for this role. And that's what I've had in mind, basically, from a Liverpool perspective, is who is the closest thing to Daniel Agar? It's why I like Bastoni. It's why I like Mickey Van Der Veen. Now, the other kind of perfect fit is more the um, the Samuel Umtiti mould, uh, who's a bit more left back. But, you know, so Lukeba, Inacio, those smaller kind of players. Um, but Mickey Van Der Veen has, has some Daniel Agar about the way he goes about his business. So, but yeah, if he could get a, a fully fit Daniel Agar, a 23-year-old Agar, with no back or leg problems, yeah, give me him over anybody. Uh, AMK2889, if there is a manager to upset Sevilla's dominance in the Europa League, is that manager Jose Mourinho? Yes. Yes, it is, because Jose doesn't lose European finals. Also, all three it's European finals contain an Italian team. Is this down to the rise within the overall league as far as the competitiveness and quality, or is it more a coincidence? I just think Italians are really good in Europe. I just think they have the right mindset for cup competitions. It's always been the case. You go back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, Italian sides did well in Europe. Uh, I do think the league is improving. I do think Serie A is getting stronger on the whole. There's no one standout team the way Juve were, but Napoli could get there with some more good recruitment. They've got a big summer coming up, though. Looks like Spalletti will leave. Looks like Giuntoli will leave. They need to try and keep hold of the players at the very least, and they need to nail the appointment of the replacement for Spalletti. Who it would be, I, I really don't know. I, I could see them eyeing De Zerbi, but I don't think he'd leave Brighton at this point. Um, what would it mean for Italian football and the overall game itself if all three Italian teams won their respective competitions? Um, it doesn't really mean a whole lot for the game itself if Roma win and if Fiorentina win. It would be huge for those clubs. It would be great for Italian football in general. It would be great for Mourinho and his legacy. Uh, it would be great for Fiorentina in particular because of the crap that they've been through with you know, different financial issues they've had over the last 20 years. And obviously they were caught up in Calcio Poli. They've never fully... Recovered at any time they produce a big name or a you know top end player, they're just waiting on Juve to come in and steal them away. But for Inter, it could it could change everything for Inter because if Inter win the European Cup, there's a real chance those owners start to so, show real interest again and maybe start to funnel money back into the club because for a couple of years now they've been sort of absentee and not really doing what's what's required now. There's major political reasons for that obviously with with the the chinese government putting a mandate that they had to take a lot of the money home for the good of the game i think it is better that inter beat city i don't have any expectation that they do i think they'll give it a good go i think they've got a fighting chance a puncher's chance you know when you've got latour martinez you've got beret you've got bastoni you've got Three lads that would start for City, or at least come close to. Simeone, Simone Inzaghi's good in cups. He's got the right mindset. I think for the good of the game, it would be good if a sports-washing club owned by a nation, funded by a nation, 
didn't win the European Cup. But I, I think City will win the European Cup. Uh, which footballers from any era would have been best the following combat sports? Um, and which other players would you like to see compete against? Okay, so we'll start with boxing. So he's got boxing, MMA, WWE wrestling, Greco-Roman wrestling, sumo wrestling, judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, karate, Muay Thai, fencing and archery. Let's start actually with archery. Archery is down to accuracy. It's down to steady hand. It's down to focus. We'll go with Xavi. And we'll go Paul Scholes, two of the most accurate passers I've ever seen, two of the most level-headed individuals I've ever seen, players that don't get flustered. We'll go with them. Uh, fencing. Fencing's about quick footwork, but hand-eye coordination. It's about being as good defensively as you are in attack. I think you're looking for wide players, maybe fullbacks, maybe an Ashley Cole. No. We'll go... We'll go... Well, maybe we'll go Ashley Cole. We'll go Ashley Cole versus Philippe Lamb. Both excellent, both directions. We'll go with those two. Uh, Muay Thai. Hyper-aggressive. Versatile. Always looking for the kill. You're definitely looking at wingers here. I will go... Vinicius Jr. against the Kyle Saka. Be fun. But same size as well. I'm trying to keep them you know, where they would fit in the same size and weight classes here as well. So there's more talking into this. This is, not, this is serious stuff we're doing here. There's no messing around. Uh, karate. So light on the feet. Counter-striking mostly. Death by a thousand cuts in a way. Um, We've got to be quick. I'll go hmm I'll go Phil Foden who for some reason I just picture he would fight like McGregor and, and I'm picturing McGregor because he's got that sort of McGregor, Leoto, Machida have that kind of karate side-on stance. So I'm picturing players who I could see doing that. So I'm going to go Phil Foden, and I'm going to go Daniel Fonseca. That's a throwback. Um, kickboxing, more aggressive. More punch orientated than Muay Thai, which is more kick and elbow and knee orientated. Most kickboxers kick only for 
distance and to kind of disguise punches and stuff. So we're going to go... Thinking like Petrosian, Zambides, thinking smaller kickboxers, I'm not thinking the bigger guys, I'm not thinking Ernesto Hoost, I'm not thinking about, you know, Overeem when he was there or Crow Cop when he was there, thinking more of those smaller guys, just that that style. Petrosian, I think Petrosian, you're looking at Iniesta, that almost dissecting nature of Iniesta. And as Zambides, you're looking at just more of a head case. I'll go with Gattuso. I'll go Gattuso versus Iniesta. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Well, Bizante Lazaro Zoo, I believe, is like a, a brown belt now in... In Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he might even be more. Uh, he was winning competitions as a blue belt a while back. Um, yeah, he became European champion as a blue belt back in 09. I assume now 14 years later, he's probably... He's probably... A black belt. So I'm going to go him. And I'll go Lothar Mateus because I just think he he fits. And also size-wise and whatever. I think because jiu-jitsu is very much about calmness under pressure, reading your opponent, planning moves ahead, making a move to set up something else. I think Lothar Mateus is perfect there. Uh, Judo. I want a forward and a, a center forward and a center back here. That's what I'm looking for. Lads that just can't keep their hands off each other. Um, so we're going to go Dejan Lovren. And we'll go with a little bit of Troy Deeney in there as well, because they used to wrestle all them. So we'll go with, maybe they'd be better for Greco, would they? They'd probably be better for a bit of Greco-Roman wrestling. So we'll go with them for Greco. Uh, for Judo, we'll we'll stick with the same but maybe with a bit more technique. Um, although, yeah, we'll go Puyol. We'll go Carlos Puyol against Ivan Tony. Good, clever, physical battle, but, you know, plenty of uh, plenty of pulling and dragging. Uh, sumo wrestling. Akin Fenwa would have to be one, I suppose. And... What was that centre-back's name? Was it Christopher Samba? I think it was Christopher Samba. I think he was like the heaviest player that had ever played in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, we're going to go him. Now, he's got, he's got the height advantage on Akin Fenwa. He's 6'4". He's Akin Fenwa, I think it's like 5'10", 5'11". He's 6'1". We'll go with these two. We'll go with these two. That's a fun. That's a fun battle. Um, WWE wrestling. You're looking for histrionics. You're going Luis Suarez 
against the perfect villain, against the baby face that is Jack Grealish. You've got your heel, you've got your baby face, you've got the performance, the histrionics, and you've got Suarez absolutely rinsing him, pulling every hair out of his head. Uh, MMA fighting, so proper MMA, all-rounders here. I'm going to pick two teammates who I think are the two of the best athletes to ever play the game and could have turned their hand to anything. I'm going to go Rude Hullet versus Frank Reichardt. And then boxing. This is a fight I've always wanted to see. Always. Roy Keane against Alan Shearer. That's the one I'm going with. So that's what I've got. There you go. That's all the questions for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks for that, Isaac. That was fun. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.